0: From 27 B.C. through the time of Jesus' sojourn on the earth all the way up to A.D. 180, uh, there was something that was described in the Roman Empire as the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And this was the idea that uh, Rome was going to be providing uh, peace, peace from external wars, peace for individuals in their lives so they could get on living their lives. Now, unfortunately, uh, we know sort of from history that there wasn't really peace for Romans and especially not peace for non-Romans during that time, but this was the way they marketed it. Uh, They had been a war-torn empire, and so the transition from war to peace was the Pax Romana, this effort that they would provide peace to the empire. Now, one of the phrases that was kind of the key marketing phrase or the key phrase for the Pax Romana was, Peace through strength. The imperial might of the Roman Empire, the promise was is that through their might, they would provide peace, freedom from war, freedom from worry. It didn't work out that way, uh, but it was a powerful idea that if you're strong enough, then you can experience peace. Well, the phrase peace through strength, that resonated with lots of people, and lots of people picked that up throughout history and repeated that idea, most notably, kind of close to home, Ronald Reagan picked up on it in the 1980s, and this was part of the Republican platform, peace through strength. And we can debate how effective uh, that policy, those policies were or weren't, but the reality is, if you go back and you look at the Roman Empire, if you go back and look at people throughout history, if you go back and look even at America... The problem is that nobody has actually, no country and no individual has actually had the strength, the moral character, and the authority to bring real peace. That we look around the world today and we want peace, but we see what's happening in the Ukraine and we see what's going on in Ethiopia uh, and in Iran and in Haiti. And we look around the world and we see a world that is torn apart with strife and conflict. And even when those conflicts end, which we pray that they will, the ongoing stress, uh, the PTSD, the, the struggles that people are going through. It's a lack of peace. And not just in world powers, but in our own lives individually. You read the news, you're on social media, there's just craziness happening, whether it's inflation, just stress, whatever it may be, there is a lack of peace. And no individual and no country has the strength and the authority either in personal character or external power to actually bring about peace through strength. But the good news is we're gathered here to celebrate one who does have that. He is called the Prince of Peace. Jesus has both the authority in his character and the power in who he is to exercise the kind of strength that is needed to achieve peace. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about how you and I can experience peace with God and peace from God. Now, we're not talking about peace from freedom from war. We're waiting for Jesus to return and bring us peace on the earth. But until that time comes, you and I can still experience genuine, real, supernatural peace from God, no matter what we go through in life. And so to do this, I'd like to take us through a couple of stories in the Bible. And I invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 8. That's page 789, Matthew chapter 8. And this morning we have something special for our scripture reading. Instead of me just reading the passage to you, we asked... Uh, if some adults in our special needs ministry and some of the helpers in the special needs ministry uh, would read this for us. And so we've made a little video and some of the members of our special needs ministry read first the first story, which is verses 23 to 27. And some of those who are volunteering in the ministry are gonna read for us the second story, verses 28 to 34. So uh, the words will be on the screen, um, but just watch and listen as they read our passage for us today. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake. So the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went to wake him. Saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of the pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. The whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Amen, and thank you to our special needs ministry for being willing to read that uh, for us. We have two stories here, and they go together. The first story is like a preview for the second story, and the second story is like a sequel to the first story. It takes the sort of themes and ideas introduced in story one and expands them in some new and surprising ways. So let's go through these two stories. We'll start with the first one. It's a story about a storm uh, on the Sea of Galilee. In verse 24, Matthew writes, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake. Now, the words that Matthew uses for furious storm are uh, especially noteworthy. In Greek, it literally says mega seismos. Now, you might be able to guess that the word mega means big or strong. Any guess what the Greek word seismos means used in other contexts, we get the word seismic from it. Earthquake, this is not the normal word for a storm on the sea. In fact, it's the only time in the Bible it gets used for this. This is the word for earthquake. And what Matthew is trying to get across is that this is not just a rainstorm, and this is not a windstorm. This is something where it feels like life is being shaken. The NIV translate with, translates it with a furious storm. And the idea is is that the disciples who are quite accustomed to the Sea of Galilee and have been on it, some of them, probably every day of their lives, are so shaken by this storm that they feel for sure they're going to die. Now, there's other storms uh, we read about in the Bible, especially the one where Jesus goes and walks on the water. That's a different story. In that story, the disciples are like, okay, this is no fun. We're rowing hard against the winds. This one... They're actually shaken to their core. They're afraid they're going to die. The boat is shaken, and they're sure that all of life is going to end. And where's Jesus during this time? Sound asleep. He's in the boat just sleeping. Now sleep is a sign of being at peace. Usually for you and I, if we've got even the slightest worry, the thing we're anxious about, or even if you just not sort of decompressed from the day, it can sometimes be hard to fall asleep. The fact that Jesus is asleep in the boat is a sign that he is totally at peace in the midst of the face of death. So the disciples are like, we gotta wake this guy up, we're gonna die. And so they shake him awake and they're like, Jesus, we're, we're gonna die here. He gets up. He says, what's the matter? Don't don't be afraid. And then it says he rebukes the wind and the waves. It says in our passage, verse 25, he rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. In Greek, that is mega calm. So we go from mega seismos, mega storm to mega calm in an instant. You and I have never seen anything like this. Can you imagine being on a sea, on a lake, that the storm is so bad that you are sure that even though you are a professional fisherman, you're sure you're going to die. And one moment later, it's calm and glassy. It's not that Jesus gets up and is like, okay, wind and waves stop, and they kind of slowly dissipate. It's not like over the next hour, it kind of calms down. Instantly, Jesus says the words, and it goes from the worst storm they'd ever seen in their lives to totally, completely calm. Not a wave on the lake at all. Well, it says in verse 27, they were amazed. (laughs) Nobody's seen anything like that. And so they say, what kind of man is this? even the winds and waves obey him. Now we have a modern praise song that we sing that I think is super powerful. It's based off this story. The opening lyrics of the song are, grander earth has quaked before, moved by the sound of his voice, seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard. And then the bridge, which has this line that always gets me when I sing it. I still don't know why. So let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and wind still know his name. This is peace through strength. Jesus has the authority and the power to simply stay, be still. And the waves and wind, they don't know who I am. They don't know who you are. They don't know anybody. They know who Jesus is. He is the creator of every molecule of water, every breath of wind, and they know it, and he knows it. And so when he tells the wind and the waves to be quiet, they have to obey. This is what everybody wants, peace through strength somebody who has the ability to control the circumstances of life, someone with the actual authority to be able to say, be still and have it happen immediately. Well, story one, like I said, is a preview for story two, which is the sequel that takes this idea and expands it further. We can see that they're related together, verse 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, Two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Story one, violent storm. Story two, violent men. At the end of story one, the violent storm has become calm. At the end of story two, the violent men have become calm. They are at peace. And just like in story one, Jesus confronts powers, meaning nature, that is beyond our control. In story two, Matthew tells us he comes face to face with supernatural powers that are beyond our ability to control and influence. In story two, Matthew also uses a really unusual word it's in verse 31 when he talks about demons. Matthew has a word that he uses for demons in every other context, but here he uses a related word. And what he's effectively calling them is not demons, but possessors. And he's focused on the fact that these supernatural beings have so much power over the men that they are possessing that they are their owners. They are their possessors. They are in control of what's going on. That's why these men are so violent. No one can go anywhere near them. The townspeople are like, we got to stay away. Nobody can control and help these men. They are totally and completely under Satan's power, they're possessed by Satan, which is why when Jesus has a conversation with the two men, it's not the men who respond, it's the demons who respond. And here Jesus comes face to face with this supernatural power that no human has been able to tame or deal with. The very best they can do is try to hold off absolute destruction. When Jesus shows up, look what it says in verse 31. The possessors, the owners, the ones who have extreme power, they beg Jesus. They don't ask. They don't request. They don't demand. They absolutely beg him. This is the son of God. This is God most high. And you've come face to face with these beings that have exercised control and authority over these humans until they meet Jesus. And they beg him for something. Now what they beg him for is really unusual. What is it they want? They want Jesus to cast them not into the abyss where they'll be tortured, but into the pigs. It's a strange request. And you ask the question, why do they want to go in the pigs? Notice what it says, it says that if you drive us out, they understand there's not gonna be a fight. Right. There's not gonna be a battle. Jesus, if he decides it, they're leaving. He just says the word and they're gone. And so they make a humble, can you say that, humble request. Hey, if you choose to drive us out, we obviously, we all, you know, we know, there's not gonna be a fight, there's nothing we can do but would you put us into the pigs? Why? Well, the best we can guess is is that pigs were considered unclean animals and these are often called unclean spirits. So I think the demons are like, well, yes, if we can't be in humans, we'd rather be in the unclean pigs. But the bigger question is, why does Jesus agree to do this? He can easily say, No, it's clear he's got all of the authority. He could cast them into the abyss and have them be tortured from that moment on. He has the authority, he knows it, and they know it. So, why does he agree to this? Because they only end up in the pigs on his authorization. I think he does this for three reasons. And all three of the reasons are for the benefit of you and I and the people who are there, not for the demons. This is not a favor to the demons. This is a kindness from Jesus to us and to the people in the story. Why, three ways. Number one, verse 32, he tells them to go. They come out, go into the pigs and immediately what happens? The pigs all die. So practically speaking, you're like, well, this made no sense. You were in these pigs for about 15 seconds, whatever the amount of time it is to take a pig to run from wherever he is down into the water and die. Why in the world would he do this? Jesus is wanting to show these people and us, this is what Satan does. He has one goal, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he knows how to do. This is not a rational decision on the part of these demons. As soon as those pigs are dead, they're out of the pigs again. And now what are they going to do? They go rushing into the lake to kill them because that's all they know how to do. And what Jesus is trying to tell us and them, look, Satan's not somebody you you reason with. He's not somebody that shows mercy. He does not make smart decisions. You can't bargain with him. You can't sort of say, well, I'll let you be a part of my life as long as you don't do this. That's not how it works. This is what Satan does. And even though it's not in the demon's best interest, they can't help themselves. All they do is kill and destroy. And the minute they get into these pigs, they kill them. And we come to realize this is what they've been trying to do to these two guys the whole time they've been in them. And the only reason they weren't able to, is humans being made in the image of God, we have a stronger ability to resist satanic forces than pigs do. And so the first reason Jesus allows this is he wants to make absolutely clear who it is we're dealing with. There's no bargaining with him. There's no reasoning with him. Satan and the demonic forces only know to do one thing, steal, kill, destroy. There's a second reason why I think Jesus goes ahead with this. And that has to do with where they're currently located. It says they arrived on the other side. That means the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So they're on the Sea of Galilee, big storm. They get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. If you look up on a map, what that region was called at the time of Jesus, it's called the Decapolis, which Deca means 10, polis means city in Greek. It sounds like it's a Greek area but it's not supposed to be. Do you see where that little star is on the map up there under the Sea of Galilee? That's basically where we think this took place. What we did is we took that star where this took place and we overlaid on top of it the tribal locations from the book of Joshua. What tribes land are they on? Manasseh, It's half of the tribe of Manasseh, which means... This was supposed to be Jewish land. This was land given to the Jews by God. This is what they conquered with Moses in Sihon. This is his area. Question, why are there pigs here? Pigs are not kosher. Jews are not allowed to raise pigs. You can't eat them. You can't raise them. Another gospel account tells us there's probably 2,000 pigs here. This is not a small amount of pigs. What are they doing there? They're not supposed to be there. And Jesus is helping us to understand because these people have not obeyed what God asked them to do, they opened the door for these demons to come into their region. This is God's land. The demons have no power there. But these people who have chosen to disobey God's rules for the Jewish people and are herding, eating, and, and taking these, uh, having these pigs, buying and selling them, have opened the door for Satan to come in and bring chaos. So why does Jesus let the demons go into the pigs? Here is the crazy thing about His power and his authority. He's actually using Satan to clean up Satan's mess. Is that not crazy? Jesus knows how this all works. He says, look, if we didn't have the pigs here, we wouldn't have the demons in the first place. I will let the demons go into the pigs because they're going to clean up the stuff that's not supposed to be here. Who can do that kind of stuff? This is Jesus using Satan to accomplish good things. There's a third reason why Jesus allows the demons to go into the pigs. And it has to do with the response of the townspeople. Now remember, they're sort of out a ways because these two guys were so violent, the demons were so intent on killing and destroying everything. Nobody could go anywhere near them. And although they had tried lots of different ways, chain these guys up, tried to figure out how can we, nobody could control what was going on. And so they basically like, the only hope we got is for distance. You stay out there and we'll be in the town here. Well, pretty soon the people who are in charge of the pig herding, they go running to the townspeople and they're like, "Uh, we got some news to tell you. Number one, those two guys that nobody could ever do anything with, there's a guy who did something with them. And number two, uh, all your livelihood is gone. So the townspeople, I have to imagine, have some curiosity and probably some what? All the pigs are gone? That's a lot of money. So they come running out from the town to find Jesus. Now look at the way Matthew writes this up. It's really fascinating. Verse 34, then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. Now, you would expect the next line would just be, if they don't want him there, they pleaded with him to leave the region. But look what the next phrase actually says. And when they saw him, that's when they pleaded with him to leave their region. So you get the sense that they're coming out of town and they're kind of like, well, partly miffed that all the pigs are dead. But also like, well, who is this guy that actually could do this to these demons? And they come out not yet having decided what they want to do. And then they see Jesus and they decide, we got to get that guy out of here. Why? What did they see when they saw Jesus? They saw authority and they saw power. And they realized if he has the power and authority to command demons, he has the power and authority to command who? Us. Those pigs are there because they like the pork, they like the money, they're a symbol of Rome. They've not sort of accidentally ended up with 2,000 pigs. These are conscious decisions to disobey God. And when Jesus shows up, the townspeople realize, wait a second, if he can do that to those demons, he can tell us what to do. And they decide, yeah, no, thank you. They plead with him, please leave our region. Now, what does that have to do with the demons and the pigs? Well, the demons go into the pigs, the pigs rush into the sea and then die. What happens to the demons at that point? They're just sitting there waiting for a new home. You understand that, right? They're not gonna willingly go into the abyss. They're not gonna move to a new region. They're just simply right there. They're invisible, so you can't see them. Jesus sees them. He knows, and he's leaving the people a choice. Look, you and I, these people, we like to think we can be lords of ourselves, that we can have peace through our strength. The truth of the matter is, is these people don't have enough strength for peace. And Jesus says, you're gonna have to accept, it's either me or it's gonna be them. And despite the fact that he set these two guys free from stuff nobody else could set them free from, the townspeople decide, we don't want him telling us what to do. We don't want him telling us what we can eat. We don't wanna tell us what we can raise. We don't want him telling us what to do with our money. And so they beg him to leave the region. The reason why Jesus cast those demons in the pigs is he was leaving them with a visible choice. Look, it's either me or them. They're still right here. What do you think is going to happen? The only thing holding them at bay is me. And they decide, now we'd rather take our chances with the demons. So what does this have to do with you and I today? Well, there's two stories, and I think there's two groups. One story is meant for one group and another story is meant for the other group. Story number one, I think is especially for those who are not yet Christians. In the first story, they are afraid they're gonna die. They've seen difficult things, they've seen hard things, but now they've come face-to-face with something that they're sure is gonna kill them, and they are afraid. Friends, you and I are also going to die. It may be in a shipwreck, It may be in sickness, it may be with cancer, it may be of old age, it may be in a car accident. I don't know how it will come, but death is coming for all of us. And at some point when you and I begin to realize that, it is a shaking feeling. When you come face to face with your own mortality and you realize, I'm going to die. It creates a lack of peace. But look at Jesus, is he afraid? He's sound asleep. Why is he at peace? Because he not only has authority over the wind and waves, he has authority over life and death. At his crucifixion, Jesus will, by his own authority, lay down his life, and three days later, on his own authority, he will raise it back up again. And so these disciples who are fearful of death look at Jesus who is at peace and basically say we need help from you and so my friends this is what he is saying to you today if you want to have peace with God peace in the face of death all you have to do is the exact thing that these people on the boat did what did they do they just said Lord save us That's it, just Lord, save. If in the quiet of your heart right now, you say to Jesus, Lord, save me from death, he will indeed do that. You're like, well, I don't have much faith. That's okay, they didn't have much faith apparently either. All Jesus needs is just a little tiny bit of faith. And if you're willing in your heart to just simply say, Lord, save me, he absolutely will. Everyone who says to Jesus, save me, will be saved. It's a promise that God himself makes. And if you're experiencing the chaos and the fear that comes with, well, death is waiting for me. All you have to do is say to Jesus, Lord, save me. Now you might think that death is gonna get you out of the chaos. You're like, well, I'm not afraid of death. It just means it's over, it's the end of the story. I wish that were the case, but it's not. You see what the demons are saying to Jesus? They understand after life is done here, there is torture that's waiting. We are eternal beings. There's no way to end this. Our bodies may die, but our souls and our spirits live on. And what we understand is is that after death comes judgment. And in judgment, if you've not accepted Jesus as Lord... All that awaits is torture and separation. It's what the Bible calls hell. And so the encouragement is you can't escape through death. You can't escape in life. What you do is there is peace through Jesus' strength. And if you today, you don't have to sign something. You don't have to give something. You don't have to do something. You just have to do the exact thing they did, which is in your heart, say, Lord, save me and you'll be saved. And you have peace with God, peace in the face of death. And when death does come, this Lord who has all authority will simply raise you up from the dead and give you life forever. Story two is for those of us here who are already Christians. What story two is about is even though you and I have peace with God, our eternal uh, salvation is set, we've asked Jesus to save us, death has no ultimate power over us, even though that is true, and it is, you and I can still experience a lack of peace in our day-to-day lives. We can still experience the chaos, the darkness, the furious lack of control. And the reason that is is because we still have an enemy an enemy who is bent on stealing, killing, and destroying. That's all he knows to do. That's all he wants to do. And simply because you have named the name of Jesus does not exempt you from that. That just makes him more angry. Mm -hmm. And you and I can have our eternal destinies taken care of. We can be right with God and be free from the power of death and still be struggling with darkness. And the encouragement from Jesus to you and I, is that, and I know this firsthand, if you're experiencing this kind of darkness, maybe it's panic attacks. Maybe it's depressive thoughts and feelings. Maybe it's suicidal thoughts. Maybe it's an inner voice accusing you of things. Maybe it's shame and guilt. These are the tools of the deceptions of the evil one. If you are experiencing these, it may very well be because there is a door in your life that you're letting him in through. The pigs are there as a means by which Satan gets to come in. And you and I, I tell you this because I think the same way. I like to think to Jesus, hey, look, I'm good with you on Sundays and church stuff. I'm good with you taking care of this stuff. But this over here, I want to raise my pigs. I want the money. I want the good taste of pork. I like bacon. I want this stuff, and whatever it may be, it may be the idea like, look, I want to live with this person even though we're not married. I want to have sex with who I want to have sex with. I want to date with money and deal with it the way I want. I love having an idol of politics. I want to be able to read all this stuff and be involved in all the conspiracy theories. You may think, you know what? I want to be able to give vent to my anger Jesus, you can have the rest of this stuff, but just leave this alone. I want my video games. I want my food addiction. I want my, uh, my desire for affirmation. Whatever it may be, the problem is, is that's a doorway that darkness is coming in through. You don't have to have the whole house open. You only gotta have a window open. So here is the kindness of Jesus and the message to you and I please let us stop deceiving ourselves. We do not have the strength to withstand this enemy. We're not smart enough, we're not strong enough, we're not holy enough, we're not good enough, we're not wise enough, we cannot do it. But Jesus in his grace and his power wants to clean up the areas of our life that Satan is getting in through. he wants to close the window. But there is a catch. And the catch is, Jesus can only exercise his lordship over Satan as Lord. And if you and I will not let him be Lord in all areas of life, he cannot exercise that authority. We got the same choice that the townspeople do. You come out and you look at Jesus and on one hand, you think, man, look at that power. And you read these stories and you're like, woohoo, still the storm, fantastic, powerful. But then you also think, wait a second, he's gonna tell me to stop living with that person. He's gonna tell me to stop sleeping with that person. He's gonna tell me to stop acting this way. He's gonna tell me that I gotta go do these things. And the answer is yes, he will. Not because he's a killjoy, but because this is the window that the darkness is coming in through. And in his glove and in his grace, you cannot have peace with Satan. There's no way to bargain with him. There's no way to give him a portion of your life and think it's gonna turn out okay. It can't happen. And so for you and I, the encouragement from Jesus is, you can take your chances with him you can take your chances with me. I'm offering you peace. Peace through strength. The Roman Empire couldn't pull it off, America can't pull it off, no individual in history except Jesus has been able to pull this off. And so the offer to you and I today is, let Jesus be Lord of every area. That dark one that you wanna think nobody's, the one that the Holy Spirit is talking to you about right now, that's the one, that's where he wants in. That idolatry of food, that idolatry of sex, that idolatry of video games, that idolatry of politics, that idolatry of affirmation, that thing that you're holding on to, that you think nobody sees, two people see it. Satan sees it and Jesus sees it. They both see that's the window. And the encouragement from Jesus is, let me close that window. And the spiritual warfare you're experiencing is meant by Satan to destroy you and by Jesus to show you a window's open. Let's close it.